14, <clears throat> while the children can be dismissed to the back, uh, they will be taught to appreciate the evens taking them and uh, teaching them on their level there. So children can be dismissed while the rest of us turn to Mark chapter 16. This morning we're also going to be working out of John chapter 20 and then the book of Romans chapter 1. So if you would like to put your finger there, uh, that's fine. If not, you can just kind of listen as I read those. But uh, Mark, Mark 16, John 20, Romans 1. It is Resurrection Sunday. What a blessed event that we celebrate. Uh, Easter is the New Year's Day for the soul. And we serve a Savior that died to pay for our sins, but He lives today. I don't know if you've ever been a Sunday school teacher of small kids, but sometimes it can get a little frustrating as you try to teach young minds filled with mush. And uh, was, there was this one teacher that was teaching our class on Easter Sunday and was asking the children, what does Easter mean? What is Easter all about? And one little girl said, Easter is when the whole family gets together and, and you, uh, you, you uh, eat turkey and sing about the pilgrims. No, 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 that's not what Easter's about, she said. The second child said, well, I know what Easter is. Easter is when you get a tree and you decorate it and you put presents underneath. No, 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 the teacher said, that is not what Easter is. Finally, the third young man said, Easter is when Jesus was killed. He was put in a tomb and left there for three days. And the teacher thought, thank goodness, at least one young person knows what this day is about. But then he went on. He said, then everyone gathers at the tomb and waits to see if Jesus comes out. And if he sees his shadow, he has to go back inside. <laughs> and we have six more weeks of winter. There's a lot of strange ideas about Easter floating around. Who knew a rabbit could lay eggs anyway, amen? How does that happen? You've probably seen on social media debates about this day and what day Jesus actually died on and different things uh, like that, the uh, uh, Shroud of Turin. But what does the Bible say about the resurrection? Why is this day so important? And more especially, what is the implications of Easter for us today here in the 21st century. I want to start reading in, in uh, Mark, actually going to read one verse to start out with, and then we'll uh, read a little more in a few minutes. But what we celebrate today is an empty tomb. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered death. In fact, the Gospels do not so much explain the resurrection as the resurrection explains the Gospels. All those who believe in Jesus Christ as personal Savior will someday be raised from the dead themselves and spend an eternity in heaven with Him. John chapter 11, verse 25. If you got a bulletin this morning, you'll know this is your memory verse. Uh, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus is the only sure hope of eternal life. Now let's read Mark 16, verse number 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. We're talking today about the friends of Jesus, Jesus' friend, Mary. Father, we ask You to be uh, just show up in a special way today. I pray, Lord, as the word is opened, we would pay attentive attention to what you have to say. Help us to change the things that we need to in our life. Help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at the friends of Jesus and digging a little deeper into their lives. Today we look at another friend, Mary Magdalene. Uh, there's 12 verses in the Bible 
that refer to Mary. And uh, she's in Scripture more than many of the disciples are. In fact, her name appears more than Thomas's name. James, the son of Alphaeus, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. All of them are mentioned less than Mary. And uh, the, 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 her being, by the way, in the Bible, being named matters. It matters to have your name down. Uh, so many people in the gospel accounts were never named. We do not know the name of the prodigal son. We do not know the name of the rich man in Luke 16. We do not know the name of the woman with an issue of blood in Luke chapter 7, or Luke chapter 8, I'm sorry. We don't know the name of the widow with two mites. We need to know her name, wouldn't it? But we don't know her name. Jesus just mentioned her. But when the Bible names someone, that matters. And not only is she named, but a dozen times in the Gospels. We'll also learn as we go forward in this study of the, of the friends of Jesus that the, the, uh, the, the, Order of the names are important as well. Every time the disciples are listed, Peter is first and Judas Iscariot is last. And then there's some variation, but in, in the order of listing is as important as well. Mary Magdalene then was a prominent figure. What do we know about Mary? One common misconception is that she was a prostitute before uh, she met Jesus. And that is nowhere in the Bible. It was Gregory, uh, the Pope Gregory I in 591 AD that proclaimed that Mary Magdalene and the woman in Luke 7 that washed Jesus' feet with her hair, remember that, and her tears, the prostitute, that they were the same person. Well, again, that's not in your Bible. And even in 1969, the Catholic Church renounce this. And, uh, but, but the Bible never says she was a prostitute, doesn't hint to that at all. Without further explanation, the Bible tells us that she was demon-possessed, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it says that she, it was a bad, it wasn't only sick, she was really sick. The Bible says she had within her seven demons, seven being the number of completion, she was completely possessed. And only Jesus Christ could help her, and praise God, He did. Mary is a reminder to all of us today just how much Jesus has done for us. If He has saved your soul, He also has took, taken you from the oppression of sin in your life and saved you. He deserves our eternal gratitude and our total commitment. We don't know, uh, I, I'm sorry, we do know that she did financially support Jesus, Luke chapter 8. Uh, rabbis did not have a salary. Jesus didn't have a, a job uh, after he started in the ministry, and so they depended on the gifts of beneficiaries. Uh, so we know that Mary Magdalene somehow was a woman of some means, and uh, she also seems to have been a very independent woman because she's one of the very few women in the Bible that's listed and not connected with the name of her husband or the name of a son uh, or any man in her life. She's just listed by herself, which indicates a sort of high social status. Of course, she may have been married to someone with money as well, and this isn't that unusual. We read uh, in Luke chapter 8 that another woman named Joanna, which was the wife of a man that ran Herod's household, also followed and supported Jesus. Mary Magdalene was an ever-present friend of Jesus. She was at both the crucifixion and the resurrection. She seems to be one of Jesus' most dedicated followers. The disciples, when Jesus was arrested and taken out and, and uh, to this mock trial and then beaten and then eventually crucified, the disciples all forsook Jesus as He said they would. But Mary did not. 
She was there at the cross, and she stayed till the very end. Let me read you a couple of verses out of Matthew 27, verse 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was one of Jesus' disciples. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered, and when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb. Somebody speculated. The, this is just speculation, but the conversation between Joseph of Arimathea and Pilate. Evidently, they knew one another. And uh, somebody just speculated that Pilate would say, Joseph, I don't understand. I don't get it. You're one of the richest men in the region, and uh, you've made this brand new tomb for you and your family, and now you're giving it to this unknown prophet Jesus? And Joseph responded, it's only for the weekend. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Notice that in the next verse, though, it says in verse 61, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Here's what we see in the timeline. She did not leave him when he was beaten. She did not leave when he was carrying his cross. She did not leave when he had the nails driven through his wrist. She did not leave when he, was, uh, when he hung on that cross for six hours. She did not leave when the world went dark and the storms came. She did not leave when the soldier pierced the side of Jesus. She did not leave when Jesus cried and gave up the ghost. She did not leave when he hung there after death. She did not leave when, until they took down his body, and still she did not leave his side. She followed them to the tomb where they buried him and sat and watched him there. Oh man, the dedication that Mary had in following her Savior. That is so needed today. It takes nothing today for people to leave Jesus. A little trouble a little difficulty, a little conflict, and people are ready to walk the other way. We need to be more like Mary Magdalene. She was 100% faithful. Can I tell you that just most of the time faithfulness is not enough? I think every one of us in here would agree that if our spouse was just 75% faithful, that wouldn't be enough. Amen? Everybody agree with that one? Our faithfulness. We should be 100% faithful to the Lord Jesus. He gave His all. Let us give Him our all. Now, the four Gospels, when they talk about these big events like the crucifixion or the resurrection, they'll list the names of the people there and they'll give different lists. It's not that they contradict each other. It's just that some list this person, others list that or a couple, and then you have to kind of put the picture together. But they all say that Mary Magdalene was there. They all say she was there at the crucifixion, and they all say she was there at the resurrection. What's the big deal about Mary being a witness to the resurrection? It's actually a very big deal. At the time of Mary's life, uh, and, and before, the women, if you've ever done a study through your Bible, you see that women were pretty much second-class citizens. Women were not, uh, they, they weren't really in some, some sections of the Bible and in cultures, they weren't much more than property. By the way, I've said it often, Christianity is the best thing to happen to women, ever. You look at ch countries and nations today that don't have Christianity in them. Look at Islam-run Christians and see uh, countries and see how they treat their women. You know what I'm saying? Christianity is the best thing ever happened to women. But uh, here was Mary in that time. Uh, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Uh, in the Mishnah, in Rosh Hashanah one eight says the following: These are considered unfit witnesses, gamblers with dice, those that lend interest, pigeon racers. 
I tried to picture this week what a pigeon racer is. How do you race pigeons? But anyway, those who trade in the produce of the sabbatical year and slaves. This is the general principle. All evidence that a woman is not eligible to give, these also are not eligible to bring. They use the fact of a woman not being able to testify as a baseline. And basically saying, obviously, obviously, a woman can't testify. None of these other people can as well. So let's pretend you're a gospel writer. You're telling the story of the resurrection. You're trying to give uh, the, the news of the greatest, really the greatest news that's ever happened in the world, and you want to convince people of the veracity of your story. Why in the wide world would you use a woman as the first witness? Well, because that's what happened. It's true. Amen? It's one of the proofs of the truth of the resurrection. She was the first human being ever to hear the news, even though she was considered of less value. Mary was a witness. In 1876, Wild Bill Hickok was killed in Deadwood, South Dakota, by Jack McCall while he was playing poker. You may recall, if you've read the story, that he was holding what they now call the dead man's hand, two, uh, two eights and two aces. He was buried in White Gulch Cemetery, but in 1887, his body was moved, uh, 1883, his body was moved to Mount Moriah Cemetery. Now, suppose you would go to the original burial site of Wild Bill Hickok. You would dig down and you would find that he's not there. Would that automatically tell you that Wild Bill Hickok was resurrected? No, it simply means his remains were moved. So it's necessary that Jesus shows himself to witnesses. An empty tomb is not enough. We need to have actual witnesses to it. And he did show himself to many, many witnesses before he ascended into heaven. Every gospel writer has Mary Magdalene there that morning. So here is a woman considered of less value, second-rate citizen, not even able to testify in court, not somebody that anybody would hang a story upon, and she is the first witness to the resurrection, to the news that we celebrate today, that Jesus is alive. Now, if you go back to our text, let's read verse uh, 9 we already read. Let's look at verse 10. After she saw him, and she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, <laughs> believed not. Isn't that just like people? Jesus had told them many times, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. Mary said, I just seen him. And they said, nah, can't be true. Uh, they didn't take her word uh, as truth. But Mary here, we see, became the first evangelist. An evangelist is an enthusiastic advocate. That's what the word means. Uh, she came to people who were living in depression. They were in distress. They were sorrowful. They were living under the fear of death. And she was the first one, the very first person in history to share the gospel, which means good news that Jesus Christ is alive. But John chapter 20, if you... Got your finger there if you want to turn. And John 20 gives us another scene that none of the other Gospels give. And I think this is a very good scene of what happened with Mary. I want to look at the timeline as we set this up. You have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome came to the tomb to put spices on Jesus there to anoint his body. And they found it empty. And when they did, they encountered two angels who said, He is not here. He is risen. Go tell the disciples. They go and tell the disciples, and when the disciples hear that he that the tomb is empty, they run to check it out. You remember how Peter and John raced to the tomb. And John, when he wrote his gospel, said, 
I won that race because that's what men do. They announce when they win stuff like that, okay? Uh, not a big deal. You know, uh, in the end of his chat, in the end of his book, he says, there's so much more I could write about Jesus that it, the, the scrolls of the world would not contain him. But he did fit in there. I won the race to the tomb. I think that's really interesting. Uh, so when they got to the tomb, he looks in and he sees the grave clothes. And then Peter jumps in after him and he looks at the grave clothes. And Luke 24, 12 says, After Peter saw, he departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. But he left. In John 20, verse 10, the Bible says, Then the disciples went away again to their own home. So they came and looked at the tomb, and then they left, confused, not sure what's going on. And they not sure what's happening, but not Mary. Mary Magdalene didn't go home. Mary Magdalene stayed by the tomb, weeping. She looked into the tomb again and uh, just just torn up inside, would not leave. Mary Magdalene's the one that wouldn't leave Jesus' side. Oh, I love it. I mean, she was dedicated, and I like that about Mary. So again, the two angels come, and they ask, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. In her confusion and disappointment, Mary jumped to the conclusion that someone had stolen Jesus' body. Okay, what would you think? It's not normal for people to spring up after a funeral, amen? It's not normal. So when the body is missing, our first thought is, somebody took the body. And so at this point, remember, no one had seen Jesus yet. And that brings up the question, who would be the first to see the risen Savior? I mean, think about that honor. Would it be Peter, the bombastic leader of the disciples? Would it be John, the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved? Who would be the first to see Jesus risen from the dead. Let me read you what happened next in John chapter 20. Notice her despair, verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne me hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. He addressed her in the same way that the angels did. Woman, why weepest thou? Her tears and her sobs had touched her heart. Probably to the angels, it was just a matter of academic interest, a human weeping. They could not connect. But Jesus had a human heart, and he loved this heartbroken woman. He knew the desperation of her tears. More than that, he had a personal stake in her devotion. So he added in his question, Whom seekest thou? How wonderful! These first words of Jesus post-resurrection. He reminded her that it was not just something she was seeking. It was someone that she was seeking. Not only what seekest thou, but whom seekest thou. But she's still taken up in her grief here. So in her despair, she blurted it all out. She assumed that he was the gardener. If he had removed the body, just tell me where you took it. And I'll come and get that body again. She's so, don't miss this picture here. She's so focused on the grave and on the dead body, she doesn't even realize it's the Lord. Doesn't even realize it's Jesus. And haven't you done the same thing in your life? You're overwhelmed by trouble. You're completely overwhelmed by the situation in your life and, and the uh, absorbed in our sorrow that we don't see the one who comes to soothe it. We often think he is farthest when he's actually nearest. He is, the Bible says, a very present help in time of trouble. 
like Mary, uh, here we sometimes mistake him for the gardener, so to speak. We think of only of our misfortune when we should acknowledge the master, like Hagar in the wilderness who's dying of thirst, and there's a well right here of water. Angel had to point it out. Sometimes we're much closer to help and relief than we realize. Uh, often we're so anxious when there's no cause for anxiety. How often do we pine over the absence of things in our life when in reality they're right within our grasp? We need to pray for faith and patience and the spiritual eyes to see God's blessings that sometimes are right in front of us. Now, a historian might have concocted a long speech, but Jesus said a single word. It's like the Bible, to distill His mercy into one wonderful word, like the word Emmanuel, like the word Jesus, like the word Savior, but here the word was Mary. That's all He said. It spoke of personal knowledge and individual interest. Psalm 174 tells us that, uh, 147.4, I'm sorry, tells us that God numbereth the stars and calleth them by name. But you know what's even better than that? You know what I like better than Him naming the stars is when it says in John 10.3, He calleth His own sheep by name. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your heartache. He knows your troubles. He knows your sorrow. He knows the conflicts in your life. And it would have been it totally appropriate and in keeping with this day if he would have shouted the words in sounds of thunder, I am the Lord. But he doesn't. He just says, Mary. And what a blessing. His divinity and his dominion are no greater than his love and his compassion for a broken heart. Jesus' first post-resurrection word was not one of power, not one of anger or vengeance, but one of tenderness. Here we see his tenderness and love for her. One word and her despair turned into her delight. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned and said, uh, the, in the Greek, it, she whipped herself around. All right, that's just the picture I have. I'm kidding about the Greek. I don't know. But I would think it just shot through her with electricity. That, that voice, I know who that is. And she whipped around and said unto him, Rabboni, which is further than rabbi, which is what people called him. Rabboni is my master, my rabbi, my personal master. Each spoke just one word, but each spoke volumes in the one word that they spoke. When he said, Mary, and, he, and she said, Master. And so we see the first person, the first person Jesus shows himself to, is a second-rate citizen. Someone that society would throw aside. Someone that wouldn't be, uh, have any connections, wouldn't have any, uh, wouldn't have any sway, politically speaking. And uh, his, it was a person with a shameful past, a person the whole world might cast aside. He showed himself to Mary Magdalene. And this is a great reminder for us, friends. God does not let our past determine our future. Amen? He does not take the mistakes that we made yesterday and, and make us uh, continually throw them in our face as we try to live for Him today. He says He takes our sin. Ooh, I love this. And He takes it as far as the east is from the west. You ever looked at a globe? Yeah, the globe, if you go north, if you go north far enough, soon you're going south. 
But you go east forever. You ain't ever going west. And he says, as far as the east is from the west. And then he says he takes our sin and he puts it in the deepest sea. And Vance Havner said, and he puts up a no fishing sign. Amen? Uh, Nobody's going to come after it. But he takes that and he does not uh, hold those things against us because he paid for them on the cross. And it's a great reminder for us not to let our past determine our future. We do not earn his favor. We couldn't earn his favor. There's nothing we could do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we could, no amount of good works that we can commit to do enough good to offset our bad. We're not, we don't, uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's a condition. It's something we knew nothing about. And yet Jesus Christ did it all for us. That's why he had to die. That's why there had to be a sacrifice for you and for I. We can imagine Mary, after she gets this news, Rabboni. We can imagine her running, breathless, propelled by excitement, heart pounding as she heads back to the disciples. We see the tears flowing down her, tree, uh, her cheeks as she ran to share the news. In those few moments, friends, Mary Magdalene would have been the only one in the world that saw the Lord Jesus Christ risen. She would have been the only one in all of history to have heard the good news. She alone was the herald of the resurrection. She, you could say, was the first missionary. She had to tell the disciples, and so she ran to tell them. Imagine the emotions and the questions that the disciples felt from the crucifixion to Easter Sunday. They had walked with Jesus, their teacher, their Messiah, their friend, for three years. Now, to the shock of the eleven, one of them betrayed Jesus. And last Sunday, you remember, we talked about it, Palm Sunday, there was a great celebration, people waving palm branches and people throwing their coats down and cheering for Jesus. And in the weeks since then, the shouting hasn't stopped, it just changed. The shouting changed from Hosanna to crucify Him. And now uh, they, they have to face the first week that Jesus is gone. He has been killed on the cross. All their dreams are crushed. In their minds, they can see, still see the visual of him hanging on the cross. And then as his limp body is taken down and put into Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, they cannot erase those images. They can't overcome the regret that all of them fled when Jesus needed them most. Now it's Saturday and then Saturday night and early Sunday morning. The hopes and dreams of the disciples have been crushed. They're facing an uncertain future. They have no idea what lies ahead of them and they are hiding in an upper room because they're afraid that somebody's going to come and find them and take them to trial too. And suddenly, uh, as they're thinking those thoughts, there's a knock on the door. Oh no, they found us. Who is that at the door? There's a deep sigh of relief uh, when a familiar voice speaks to them through the door and it's Mary Magdalene. And here she says in John 20, 18, I have seen the Lord. Whew, it's good stuff. You and I should feel her excitement, even today, because this is Easter. Christ has risen. But just what does it mean to us now? It's a great story, isn't it? Nice to see that Mary's right in the middle of it. It's a, it's a great, uh, makes for good pictures. But what does it mean to us here today in the 21st century? Let me just close with three different things Easter Three truths that Easter gives us, the resurrection provides for us today. Number one, 
Easter confirmed Christ's identity. This is where we're in Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So, he answers two questions in that verse. How do we know Jesus Christ was human? Because the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ was God, but He was man too. Uh, we, we don't totally get that and understand it, but we know it to be true because he was the God-man. All God, all man. How do we know he was human? Well, uh, Paul says, look at, his, look at his family tree. All the way from there. You can look at uh, every person that, that uh, he's connected to. You can look at his descendants. You can trace his lineage. And then the second question, how do we know he was God? Okay, now you've proven he's man, uh, which was made of the seed of David. That's his manhood. How do we know he was truly divine? Paul answers that too. The resurrection verifies it. Uh, all of us have a lineage. All of us come from a family tree. And, uh, but not all of us can have the second claim that we're God the way Jesus did because, uh, we weren't, uh, because he was resurrected. You see, the resurrection did not make him the Son of God. It revealed who he was. His resurrection uh, confirmed what he said in John chapter 8, verse 23, when he said, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are from this world, I am not of this world. Jesus came to heaven, uh, came from heaven to earth. He became a man. He put away all of his power and he made himself of no reputation. And then he died on the cross and he did so for you and he did so for me. But anyone, friend, can die for another, right? Happens routinely in, in war and in battles. People die for someone else. If Jesus had just simply lived a wonderful life, died a heroic death, He'd have been one of many people who have done that. But his uniqueness is guaranteed forever by his resurrection. Because other heroes are dead and gone. But our Savior lives on, uh, lives on today. We follow a living Savior. And this is important. This is very important for us. Why? Let me get, illustrate. Uh, this month in April, uh, I've taken, just personally taken on the 10,000 steps a day, 30-day challenge. And uh, you say, why would you do that, Pastor? Well, let me just tell you, this doesn't just happen, okay? <laughs> this takes a lot of work, I want you to know. Uh, beauty is pain, all right? We know that. Uh, but it I've learned it, takes a, it requires a lot of walking. You, I find myself at close to the end of the day, and i, I, I got to go take a walk. The other night, I'd take a walk at like 11 at night because I hadn't got my steps in yet. Uh, but let's imagine that you decided to do this and take a hike, to get in those 10,000 steps. Uh, Crow's Peak Trail is a seven-mile trek and the Black Hills near Spearfish. So there you are hiking the trail, and then imagine that you get hopelessly lost. You don't know up from down, east from west, north from south. You're completely and totally and utterly lost. And as the panic starts to build in you and you get more and more scared and worried, uh, you come across two park rangers. Whew, and the panic starts to subside. Both of them are wearing traditional green uniforms. But there's one little hiccup in finding these park rangers. One of them is dead. One of them is alive. Here's a simple question. Which one are you going to follow out of the park? Do you think it's important to follow a living Savior? Amen? I don't want to follow a dead man. Yeah, Muhammad, they make lots of claims about him, but he's dead in a grave. 
Uh, Joseph Smith, he's dead, he died. Uh, all these men, the, the Buddha and these different uh, pe people that other people worship, there's a big problem. You can visit their grave today. You can visit the tomb as well, but it's open. You can look in it. There's nothing there because Jesus Christ is risen. Easter confirmed Christ's identity. Number two, Easter canceled sin's penalty. Romans 4, 24, But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Simply put, Jesus' death uh, as God's sacrificial lamb on the cross was to pay the redemptive price for our sins. Jesus' resurrection was a demonstration that God accepted that sacrifice. Don't make a mistake, friend, to think that the crucifixion was anything other than for you personally. It was for you because you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't do it because all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all come short. We might have some people that get a little closer than others, but we all fall short because of our sin. And so Jesus filled that gap. Therefore, because He lives, God can offer His righteousness to every person who calls on Him. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because He lives, uh, He holds. I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. The sin debt that you could never pay, He paid on your behalf. Let me ask you, friend, have you accepted this substitutionary payment personally? Have you made this? It's all right to know about Jesus, but you really need to know him personally and accept that gift of salvation. What, what can be more wonderful than knowing your sins are forgiven? And it's because of the resurrection. Easter canceled sin's penalty. And finally, because of Easter, we can celebrate eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus is the very heart and soul of the gospel. In simple terms, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death is so important because it was the payment for our sin. Uh, the punishment that we could not pay because of our sin was put on the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. That's why His death was important. But the resurrection, where would we be without the resurrection? The resurrection was so important to the early church and they uh, blasted this message to the world. It's a shame today that in so many churches we only talk about it one Sunday a year, the resurrection. Our world still needs to hear the Easter proclamation. Tomb, thou shalt, no longer thou shalt not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say Christ arose on Easter Day. In the times like we live in today, and don't we live in some times, friends? In times that we live in today, political divisions, uh, civil unrest, uncertain future. There's no better message. Like Mary Magdalene did, we ought to burn within ourselves to share the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is risen, and He can make a difference in your life today. What a great message for People that, like the disciples, were in the upper room where they're discouraged and they're defeated and they don't know what they're going to do next. Friends, we live in a world like that today where people don't know uh, how to overcome the defeat in their life. Oh, friend, I hope you don't miss the significance of this day.
We're talking on Wednesday nights about the uh, uh, life of Saul. And the last three Wednesday nights, we've been talking about David and Goliath. And, and one of the neat things about David when he took out Goliath, you remember the story, Goliath is walking up and down and, and uh, he's doing all the, uh, threatening the Israelites and David shows up and, and then he, long story short, David rocks Goliath to sleep. Remember that story? So he picks up a rock, sends a sling, uses a sling, sends a rock, and he shoots it into a Goliath's forehead. Goliath falls down. Now, he's not dead. He's just stunned, okay? And uh, in the Bible, what does David do next? He runs over to Goliath. He takes his own sword out of his sheath, and he, well, he chopped off his head. Sorry if it's kind of uh, brutal, but he did. He chopped off his head. Uh, but what I find out interesting about that story, David used the giant's own weapon to kill him. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What is the devil's weapon? Death. For the wages of sin is death. That's the devil's weapon. Every one of us is going to die because every one of us is sin. We're all going to die one day. Aren't you glad you came today? Amen. We all will. We know that. And it's because of our sin. That's the devil's number one weapon against you. And hey, Jesus overcame it. Hallelujah. He rose that day, and with that resurrection, he promises the same for us. What a blessing that is. So he uses the devil's own weapon against him, and he defeats the devil in doing so. Truly, the resurrection changes everything, friend. I hope you've grasped it in your life today. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you're listening to this and realize, wow, Jesus did all that for me, and... I don't even know for sure if I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know for sure if, if something happened to me right now, would I, where I would go. I'm not sure. I hope I'd go to heaven, but I don't know. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me, preacher? I don't know for sure. Anybody here today, thank you so much. What about you, dear Christian? Have you been living in the power of the resurrection? Or have you been like the disciples? God's people... Jesus' followers, but defeated, discouraged, depressed, not knowing what they're going to do next, would you respond today? Would you stand along with me as she begins to play? And as the piano plays, the altar is open. Just keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. And if God spoke